0: what's up what's up it's your boy AT and your boy AE coming to you live and direct with another episode of bars rhymes and life where we break down the bars relate to the rhymes so we can shed light on our lives Listen. The, In the for Playback. Welcome to another episode of Bars, Rhymes and Life. Alan, how are you feeling today, my brother?
1: Feeling like a public enemy, man.
0: Jeez. (laughs) Public enemy, fight the power. Before we start anything, just just a little side note for the audience. Alan needs to stop sending me games. Games that are going to basically ruin my life, ruin my mental health, my mental resilience, and also ruin my productivity. Stop sending me games like Contexto and ruining my days, yeah? You literally, I've, I've probably lost eight hours this week because of you <laughs> and your games. Stop it, Alan. No more.
1: This, this is what happens when you don't have to work. You just sit and play on your phone.
0: <laughs> anyway, public enemy, fight the power, the why, the rationale, I want to hear it all.
1: Uh, once again, it was a track that I've mentioned recently on the pod, so it was at the forefront of my mind. It's another iconic track by another iconic group. It's, I'd say it's one of, if not the most well-known protest songs from like any genre. I watched the film Do The Right Thing a few months ago, and this was on the soundtrack to that film. It's a Spike Lee film, and it, it fits it perfectly. I recommend watching that film if you haven't seen it. It's a really interesting story. And I just... I just love a good protest song. Like hip hop has always been a, a good place for political music. And and if you ever go to a protest or a rally or a march, there's a good chance you'll hear this song playing somewhere. And it's just kind of a great feeling when you're in a big group of people who are kind of moving in the same direction, like figuratively and literally, like en masse. Yeah, with songs like this moving them forward. So yeah, I thought I'd bring it to the pod.
0: Amazing. As always. I think I've mentioned this a number of times with what I quote unquote call a bait track. I've heard this track loads of times, referenced it so many places. And then you sit down and you start going through some of these lines and I can't wait to go through with you with them and I can't wait to have your input and help, especially with one set of bars where I'm like, Alan, I'm so conflicted and I'm so struggling here and I can't wait to dissect it with you. And it just goes to show that some of these tracks from the offset seem simple in their message and their words, but you give them enough attention. There's so much more as to why it's done what it's done. This, this track is, as you said, as, as iconic as iconic gets in terms of protesting and protest tracks and the amount of times it's been referenced. And I, I can't wait to get started. So who's up first?
1: I'm up 1989, the number, another summer, get down. Sound of the Funky Drummer. 1989, man. This, this might be the oldest song we've had on the pod yet, right? I, I can't think of, a, of an older one. I was three years old when this song came out, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners weren't even born yet. But it goes to show like how much staying power this song has. It's been around for decades, and it's still considered like relevant and important. This line actually reminds me of an episode of The Boondocks, which is called The Block is Hot. Um, it takes a lot of inspiration from the film, Do the Right Thing, and at the start of the episode, Huey is walking out of his house with a boombox, playing Public Enemy and the Weatherman talking about how hot it is. And in the film, Do the Right Thing, the character Radio Raheem walks around with his boombox playing this song all the time. Obviously, this film's inspired a lot of art throughout the decade. That was one reference that just sort of stuck out to me. And then Sounds With The Funky Drummer. I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, the, the Amen Break, which is a very famous drum solo used all over hip-hop. And this is another one that's probably the second most famous uh, funky drummer by James Brown. You hear it everywhere. It's in shade. I want the floor If you like going on, on musical rabbit holes, then you should uh, get on Who's sampled and look at Funky Drummer and it'll take you places. <laughs> you're up next.
0: Listen, if you're missing, you're swinging while I'm singing, hey, given what you're getting. So I'm checking this off Rap Genius first before I say what I got to say. This is a nod to Malcolm X's Ballot of the Bullet speech where he criticises the more moderate liberal elements of the civil rights movement. Anytime you live in the 20th century, 1964, and you're walking around here singing, we shall overcome. It means that the government has failed us. This is part of what's wrong with you. You do too much singing. Today is the time to stop singing and start swinging. For me, Alan, I've always had such an affinity to Malcolm X. And I just think about how unfortunately applicable Malcolm X's words are to such things in life in general. It's bars rhymes in life. And you know, I've had such a shit six months with regards to work. And I've stayed so patient. And in some respects, I did all of the right respectable things. And I was just singing. I was singing the right tune. I was singing everything that needed to be sung. And it's only until I stopped singing and started swinging. Psychologically, not physically, I wasn't swinging at anyone physically, Alan. Um, Did I start to take control of my life again? And I think many people frown on people that protest. And I think privilege, not always, but I think privilege is sometimes what makes you frown on the rebellious. Revolutions and protests are usually born out of injustice mixed with slow progress and no alternative options. And I just need to fucking make sure I remember. And I keep my inner Malcolm X in me always. And I'll probably save myself a lot more stress and bother.
1: That's so true, man. People really do look down on protest. I remember being at a protest. It must have been like four or five years ago. It was a big one in London, anti-austerity. And there were people sort of standing on the side of the road. And I overheard uh, some woman say, oh, get a job to like the people walking past. I'm thinking, I took the day off work to come here. What are you talking about? Like, you're sort of thinking you're better than everyone because they're here trying to make a point like. Yeah, there's there's a lot of snobbery around that stuff. Bars. I'm up. Gotta give us what we want. Gotta give us what we need. Our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We gotta fight the powers that be. Gotta give us what we need. Our
0: freedom of speech is freedom of death. We gotta fight the powers that be. So I snapped you on the last two lines and I want us to
1: go in on it later. Nice. Yeah, I think. Chucky speaking the truth. I think it's a shame that when we talk about freedom of speech today, we're mostly talking about like old male comedians complaining because someone called them a dickhead for saying something sexist. Like, and, and and interestingly, these people are usually talking about how they can't say something in front of a gigantic audience, and then they get like a two-hour Netflix special talking about how they can't say all the things that they are literally saying right now. The whole debate has been taken over by people who just want to have no consequences for the things they say. Like, that's that's not how it works. You know, you can be an asshole on stage if you want to, but people are going to call you an asshole. That's not censorship. It's just consequence. Censorship is when schools in America have books taken off their shelves because of powerful lobbies of conservative parents. This is something I've learned about recently. The author John Green has had his novels banned repeatedly from schools since they were released because of some mild sex scenes. But the young adult novels are aimed at, at teenagers and older. And these books are not only not harmful, they're really useful. They're teaching young people lessons about life. And these decisions get made because the school board is elected. And like most small local elections, a lot of people don't have time or they don't know about them. And so you end up with very vested interests taking control. And and in America, that usually seems to be the Christian, the conservative right. And so then you have schools where books are getting taken off the shelves because of a small but powerful group of people. And I think that's a real violation of free speech.
0: Yeah. So I snapped you on our freedom of speech is freedom of death. We've got to fight the powers that be. And Alan Brode, like these lines, when you read them, I literally have my brain spinning all day with this one that first line, our freedom of speech is freedom of death, I actually think that this might be the most paradoxical and one of the most powerful bars in the short history of bars rhymes and life. One of the most important things in the history of humankind could well be freedom of speech. That freedom of speech is essential to civil society, enabling people to express their thoughts and opinions without fear freely. It allows citizens to engage in a meaningful dialogue about important issues and create open channels for criticism and growth. But I also think it's super dangerous too. Like, echo chambers enable the most horrid things to be said, and then they get embedded in a certain subtype and certain societies. So, something that might be really, really on the fringe of what is quote unquote normal behavior will get into an echo chamber and become embedded in, in, in individuals and certain societies and stuff. And, it, and it's really, really dangerous. Freedom of speech also dilutes and disperses the core issues, in my opinion, especially in today's society, where something really, really wrong can be hijacked by the government and mainstream media and morphed completely into something else. Like, you know, there might be something that was just terribly wrong, and all of a sudden, everyone else starts just jumping in on it. And it's like, well, you're, you're diluting the core issue. I think the most powerful choice and expression of freedom is freedom of speech. And we have this in this world, for for the majority of this world, but it comes with a responsibility that I think many of us truly don't comprehend. Absolutely, you have to fight the power, but sometimes I think you have to be absolutely certain and consciously pick who you're picking those fights against carefully and what they mean to you. But it's just like, wow. Yes, I have the right to say whatever the fuck I want, but it's also enabling me to a potential path of acceleration of my death or my mental health or my demise. I just think it's an absolute bar, man.
1: Yeah, it's true. And now that you mention it, I think it could also be a reference to like, there were so many like activists and leaders in like Black Panthers and other organizations that ended up dead.
0: Oh, let's, yeah, for exactly. what
1: they were saying, right? Let's and, be and honest. Under Martin suspicious
0: Luther circumstances, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Martin, MLK, Malcolm X, they're all assassinated, yeah. or at the even... very
1: least, they ended up on lists where they were being watched by FBI or CIA, whoever, like, and, and and who were being actively working against them for speaking. Like they weren't really free to speak. <laughs> One hundred, bro. One hundred. It's interesting what you say there about like the extremes in echo chambers there's something an idea called the overton window which is basically where you have like the political spectrum from like left to right and then the extremes of both of those things and the overton window is like the amount of that spectrum that is acceptable but it can move and the center moves and at certain times you see things that at one point were considered quite radical becoming more centrist and it moves depending on where you are as well like ideas in for example. Scandinavian countries that are considered just very normal would be considered really extreme in America, like universal healthcare, for example. Like so, and so that thing can shift, and like you say, when you get in echo chambers, the whole thing shifts to the extremes. It's dangerous stuff.
0: One hundred man, I just think it's an incredible bar that would that has gone over my head billions of times, and I'm reading it and I'm going, Whoa. Maybe that's why this thing has lasted decades upon decades upon decades, because there's something subconsciously in it that really, really pulls something out of our psyches as a collective, especially for those that
1: want to protest. Truth, man. I'm up next. People, people, we are the same. No, we're not the same because we don't know the game. What we need is awareness. We can't get careless. You say, what is this? My beloved. Let's get, business, me, boy, no, same, let's get down to business, mental self-defensive fitness. Bars. I love these bars. I, I just think there's a, I love the call to action in, in, in this whole song, really, but in these lines, especially. The idea that we're not the same. I think sometimes people have a slightly naive idea of what equality is, and they say things like, I don't see color, or I don't see race. And and the problem is that you might not see it, but other people do, and it has an important impact on their lives. And so just kind of acting as if it doesn't exist is is kind of almost as bad in some ways, because you're like ignoring a problem. And, and you can't, You can't just erase history and start from square one. There are things that happened in the past that still have an impact today. We've talked about lots of them on the pod in the past. It doesn't mean that you as an individual are responsible for those things, but you are responsible for like your own awareness and how you react to people today who are talking about those things. And if the way that you react is, you know, with defensiveness and resisting it, then you might be part of the problem.
0: 100 bro. It's really, it's really insightful for you because I do, I feel like I am one of those individuals that always says, hey, you know, cut me, cut you, we all bleed the same. But it's okay to say it within yourself and maybe in your own entity. It's, what's the word? It can be really poor and a lack of awareness if you say that out loud for someone who's basically explaining the reason why I earn less than you is because I'm a female and you're a male. And I go, well if you cut if you cut me and I cut you, we bleed the same. (laughs) Like it's not appropriate. It doesn't apply. (laughs) Right? So it's about it's more it's more about like how you use it and when to use it. And like, yes, I behave. I know you behave as someone who, you know, we are I'd like to consider ourselves just from our come up in school and the people that we mixed with and all that. I don't think you could ever deny that we we ever we're a little Cult of anything, if that makes sense. But it's the case of when someone brings certain things up, like you know, pay against gender or pay based on you know the color of his skin. When those individuals say, "Hey, I see no color," it's actually coming across condescending. It's not. It's not the way to say it. You have to be mindful of it, and, and I think I am quite mindful of it. But I just like putting it in a you know real life example of hey you may be thinking that you're being really really i don't know what's the word righteous and you you know you're really you're really alleviating that individuals like animosity towards the situation for anything you're just fucking making it worse you're just making it worse
1: it's so true man it's so true it's just taking like a big kind of societal issue and making it personal <laughs>
0: <laughs> who's next bro you're up elvis was a hero to most but he never meant shit to me you see straight out Racist. That sucker was simple and plain. Motherfuck him and John Wayne. Ooh, snap! I think the meaning behind these lines are quite straightforward and obvious. Now, I don't know how accurate these lines are with reference to Elvis, uh, whether he was a racist or not, or John Wayne, whether he's a racist or not. I don't know. I've not. I'm not. I didn't go or have the time to go and check, research what they've said or what they might have said in the past. But I feel like this, there's a, this, these lines are highlighting another point that I've been mulling over. And the best way I can put it is I call it majority bias versus quality and recognition. It's well known that Elvis took elements of prominently black artists into his work. In the early 50s, Black performers like Little Richard, Joe Turner, Ike Turner, Ray Charles, Ruth Brown and the Fats Dominoes were already making rock and roll. But this was pre-civil rights America when black artists were marginalized as creators of what we called or what was called quote unquote race music and largely ignored by the white mainstream audience who were more interested in like like Tony, Mar- Tony Martin and Johnny Ray. At least they pretended to be, there's evidence that white audience listened to black m- music privately, even though it wasn't socially acceptable to do so publicly. We as humans always prefer to see and hear from those that look like us, whatever that means. So if there's more white people in America than black people at the time, well that's why Elvis becomes the king of rock and roll. If Michael Jackson doesn't become white, does he? Be- get the opportunity to become the king of pop another person george, My- george michael is an artist who's been accused of appropriating uh, a fair bit too and then i say to myself okay maybe i don't want to hold that artist like i don't want to hold a gun to that artist's heads and say mother him it's like you know he's racist all this sort of stuff whatever because it's not that artist's fault that the majority of the country was white at the time and their their primal instincts is to just like someone or something or an image or a package or something that that they can relate to i.e with the color but then i say to myself why didn't any of these artists deliberately articulate or fit some of these people of like you know the BAME community onto their tracks did any white artists deliberately ask to perform with any of these black artists did labels get in the way or were they just oblivious to it i just I think the reason why this is considered the most proactive, provocative song ever isn't because it's directly calling any one person out. I think it's actually because it directly and indirectly is asking questions of us and it actually enables anyone who's listening to challenge anything they deem fit to be challenged. So the thing I want to compare it to is Fuck the Police. Fuck the Police, in my opinion, is like, Malcolm X, aggressive, raw, direct to the point. But it never really got, it's a mass appeal sort of track, and Malcolm X is a mass appeal kind of guy. But did he get the credit that he deserved compared to Martin Luther King? No, because Martin Luther King was a little bit more universal in his approach and a little bit more pragmatic in his r- approach. And I feel like when you compare this song to uh, Fuck the Police, I think the same thing applies. I just I just think it's incredible. Just think it's incredible. And I think there's just a lot in that those lines then meets the eye.
1: Yeah, completely agree and it's true what you're saying like the difference between a song like Fuck the Police and this and then other more acceptable kinds of protest there's always been like slightly more acceptable kinds of protest. I think of Colin Kaepernick taking knee at the the nfl and people be like oh, that's not that's not you're not allowed to do that that's not an acceptable form of protest like well, well then what is for god's sake i this line it kind of it's one of my favorite lines in the song because it's so provocative like there's like a mischievous side of me that loves this thing. you're taking a shot at like the most iconic and loved character of elvis and but like you said it's um i, I think it's especially powerful for like a black artist to say something like this and say like that he doesn't mean Anything to me, he might be your hero, but he's not my hero. And and I think, um, like historically sp- speaking, I don't think Elvis was like an active racist. Like you said, I think he um, used lots of elements of black music. And I think Chuck D said himself that's kind of what he was talking about with this line. John Wayne, on the other hand, he was like an active Republican conservative. So I'm <laughs> not so sure about him. But it, it, you know what? It's more it's more about like you said, he's profit profiting off of black music while not giving necessarily the proper. Credit and and someone like Chuck D wants to you know actually call that out and point to look these aren't our these aren't our heroes the our heroes are the people that he's copying. Brother Ali has a song called One More Hit, which is all about this idea. It's interesting him as a white artist doing hip hop, but then talking about this at the same time. It's kind of an inescapable thing, and it happened with rock and roll, and it's arguably happening with hip hop right now as we speak. One hundred man, I just think I just think it's- Mad as
0: I find that it's so crazy how history has a habit of repeating itself, but in a comp- in a way that blinds those in the past to recognize that it's happening now. And even those that recognize it know that they can't do fuck all about it anyway. So it's just it's just nuts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so true. I'm up next. I'm proud. I'm ready. I'm hyped. Plus I'm amped. Most of my heroes don't appear on those stamps. I mentioned this in the previous episode. It's what made me pick this song, and like I said at the time, like representation is just really important, and for a lot of people, the people that they look up to just aren't represented in like official spaces like on stamps or on money or a library is named after them. I think certainly, since this song was made, it's probably improved. I think there has been a stamp with Malcolm X on it since this song came out, but it's always a struggle to get better representation, you know and, and it might seem like a small thing but it is important. Like there's a reason why we have the queen, well, I guess the king's head now on like all of the money and the stamps and all of that stuff. It's about reminding you where the power is, like showing you who who you serve as it were. I think recently there's been a lot more kind of discussion about like who these heroes are and particularly in the US like should they really be idolized not just like retrospectively but like in their time. Were they what like, were they okay people? Were they good people? should we, uh, should we be celebrating them? And this is this discussion come up particularly around like monuments of Confederate soldiers in the U.S. Because obviously part of the Civil War in the South, there are a lot of statues of Confederate soldiers, and a lot of people think actually those people were awful, and they don't need to be celebrated. And again, a lot of people call that censorship, but I tend to disagree. I think censorship would be, for example taking a civil war history book off the shelf (laughs) in a school whereas a statue isn't about learning it's about celebrating i think so i think yeah there's a difference between maintaining history and celebrating it and i think it is it's worth being aware of like like what those people have done who they are and what it means to us now because those power structures although they seem old they just continue on and and they exist in different ways different shapes and forms and that's why a song like this, I think, is is always relevant. Like, it, it was relevant in the 80s and the 90s, and it will just it will continue to be relevant as long as there is power being abused.
0: 100, bro. You got one more? Fight the power. Let me hear you say fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power. Fight the power. So we've said it uh many times this pod. Fight the power is one of the most recognizable lines in hip-hop. It has been quoted and practiced by social activists everywhere, including Wangari Maathai from Kenya, Angeline Jackson from Jamaica, and Claudia Jones from London. And a fun fact is that Fight the Power is also a name of a song by the Isley Brothers that came out 14 years before this song. And we, randomly in our group chat, I went on a little bit of an Isley Brothers hi- hype, didn't I? I was talking about the Isley Brothers. And so I found it very, very universally, karmically intriguing that this track has the Isley Brothers on it when I was just banging on about them this week. And I was li- I've been listening to a lot of Isley Brothers the other day. Ron Isley's voice is just different. His cut on the chorus contagious is unbelievable. In my ear, screaming, out. you're contagious. Touch me, baby. Give me what you got. Then a man says, Sexy lady, drive me crazy. Drive me wild. All I heard was my baby's voice. And I just wanted to just highlight how sick the Iceland brothers are absolute OGs
1: that's that's incredible man I'm looking at the lyrics right now and then the very first verse it says you gotta fight the powers that be so <laughs> clearly clearly Chuck D is uh, quoting them directly and I, I missed that one incred- uh, completely. That's man incredible.
0: this is such a track I'm really glad that you brought it to the pod Alan nothing but love to public enemy Nothing but love to all of Public Enemies fans. Nothing but love to all the BRL listeners out there. Nothing but love to you, Alan. One. Peace.